rings of power, village rails, an unmatched digital edition. This is staying in. We've had a question come in from a listener. Again, Oof. can you believe it? Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Streak past. On the wind. <laughs> yes, it just grabbed <laughs> it out the air. There was a voice on the wind and it asked. What did it ask us, Chris, that voice on the wind? Unfortunately, it didn't ask us anything for Peter Investigates, but he's right, no okay. doubt. Pete's no doubt deep undercover with a different, under a different name <laughs> some, in some kind of governmental organisation somewhere. Um, ben Tucker um, asks us, if there are any good one-handed apps or games out there, uh, I believe they're about to become a parent soon. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that, that was a crucial piece of information that yes. I needed there. Yeah, because yeah, the question is, why do you need a one-handed game? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, just get your heads out of the gutter and just <laughs> let's help Ben okay. with one-handed games or apps, as it were. Okay. Okay, I'm going well, to throw for... this over to start off with to Sam and Dan. Mm, okay. All right. Okay. As as parents. Yeah, I wasn't just singling Pete out. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, congratulations, Ben. Congrats. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sending us in a question. I can't. There's nothing from. There's one that jumps out to me. Okay. The one that jumps out to me is one of your favourite games, Sam. Because I'm just I'm putting my head in the picture of like those late nights got one arm is let's mm-hmm. say being utilized so you've got one this free arm and i'm thinking not words yeah well what i was gonna say was that from my own experience i didn't actually do much one hand gaming instead i used that valuable time and this is worth thinking about ben this is a perfect time to either a start playing some ace games one-handed on your phone or crack through some of those TV series or films that you've long been willing to watch. During the nursing period of my son, I got through all of Better Call Saul and the first three seasons of The West Wing. My wife did all of Desperate Housewives and most Ooh. of Friends again. So, so yeah, so it's, it's a good period. It's a good amount of time to really be very, very productive. So, yeah, so, Dan, I agree with you, not words, and I tried it out today. I did it one-handed. Um, just a test that it would work, but not things like that, like not words or Sagrada. So that's that's not words spelt with a, a silent K at the start. So that's, yes, K N O T W O R D S. It's a very good kind of scrabbly, kind of puzzly game, kind of yeah. cross between Scrabble and uh, Sudoku. Yeah, and those are the games that kind of came to my mind first off. Um, things like Cartographers and Railroad Inc. I think actually what I would recommend are things like either the Bart Bonte games. So all of that series from Bart Bonte. So Yellow especially, um, really good. And another game I would recommend is a Really Bad Chess, which is a chess variant where you start off with different pieces every single time. And sometimes those pieces don't behave like you expect them to so it's a really interesting puzzle and kind of gives you a lot of headspace to to think while you're doing it and i think my final one would be something like solitarica which i don't know if you guys have heard about which is solitaire Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's an rpg so you take on a typical rpg character like a warrior a wizard um a, a thief and then you play through a whole rpg campaign but by playing solitaire so it gives you that like quick sort of puzzly hit but there's a bit 
a more of a longevity to it. There's a there's a narrative and there's a story, which I think when you're in this situation doing protracted periods of, of nursing, um, I think that's probably my that would probably be my well, top. Well, I think tip. I think also you've got kind of any kind of um, endless runners like mm. if 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 that's sure. your if that's your kind of that's your bash. Then I'd go maybe something like that. There's there's kind of quite a lot of endless runners that may be may be good. Something like um, Adventure Capitalist. That's a good show. I mean, you can get sucked into it. Like I've played it and I've had to start myself because I've got too sucked into it and it kind of monopolizes a lot of time. <laughs> Just wake but... the baby up so you can carry on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so that that could work as well. Um, I was thinking of a game that I played. I don't actually think I'm not even sure if it's still available now. It's called 1800. Do you remember that game? It was just it was basically uh, there would be like it was kind of all red and white, and there'd be a pattern on the screen, and you had to stop the pattern at a specific point. Yes, and it was the specific point was scored at 1800, and so if you were missed it, you might miss it by one, and it'd be 1799 or something like that. I got insanely into that game to the I point that I was that, like yeah. in the top 10 in the world at that game but I don't I, I don't know if it's still one kind of available CD. but like it was yeah like that was a really good and obviously that's just one touch so that's just all, all you need for that mm-hmm. but I think there are, there's, there are plenty of games because like any traditional mobile games um, kind of the old school mobile games before they kind of introduced any kind of like virtual joysticks or anything like that, they were made for one hand mm-hmm. because people just assumed you wouldn't you wouldn't be playing mobile games with two hands because yeah. it's not a gaming platform. And also the screens were a lot smaller as well. Like now, like I've not got the biggest of phones, but it's still like six and a half inches, which my thumb cannot get. Size doesn't matter, Sam. All right, we need to move on from this. So, um, the, so I've got some game recommendations as well. Here he comes. Oh, hang on a minute. We do, hang on a minute. So it's not that we need to move on from this. It's we need to move on to Pete's time to talk. No, we need to move on. No, we need to move away from where this conversation is absolutely going. <laughs> uh, talking and we need about... to go to former pocket gamer editor. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, listen. Uh, uh, right. Three really, really good games that are a little bit off the beaten path. Um, one of them is a game called OK Golf, uh, mm. which is a very good chilled. Uh, one-handed golf game uh, very simple straightforward beautiful looking thing and very relaxed you can take it at your own pace but there's lots and lots and lots to do in there lots to see and lots to explore uh, one we've talked about in the podcast before skiing yeti mountain yes. uh, yep. which is an excellent game it's a one-handed skiing game which uh, is it's absolutely brilliant it's basically just a slalom game there's hundreds and hundreds of uh, uh, bits of the mountain to go down and getting all the way is, is brilliant it's got a really good sense of humour really beautiful precise controls really really good and then finally one from uh, built uh, around Bristol Way is a game called Oco so that is O-C-O Oco and it is a it can be a rhythm game it's not a rhythm game it's a it's a puzzle game that's also a platformer, very straightforward, very, um, in terms of its visuals, but very clean, very laser cut um, kind of uh, pixel visuals. And essentially the idea is that uh, you are platforming with a forever moving object, um, but you need to go and see it to believe it. It's, it's, it's a really lovely yeah. game, Oko. Um, and um, yeah, very, very, I mean, very, very good. Very good for things like high score chasing and trying to figure out how on earth am I meant to do this in six jumps? I took, 
I, I, I used nine and I thought that that was the number of jumps that would be the minimum. But apparently you can do this level in six. How on earth? Uh, really, really good. And well supported by the developer as well. Uh, those would be my big three. Okay, Chris's big three. Uh, <laughs> if we're going to stick on. with that as a title. Ganshon Clever. I think that's nice. a really yeah. good one on the phone. Mm. Um, I would probably say something like Monument Valley or Monument Valley 2 I love those games, very relaxing, very cerebral it is literally just pressing one point um, on the level and letting your character just move towards where you want them to go and that's quite satisfying and probably something like um, Alto where you're literally just Mm. tapping the screen for each jump as you're kind of a bit like an endless runner like you were talking about Dan Alto or Odyssey Um, but rather than kind of like over their shoulder going away from you it's side scrolling and again like monument valley just some really really beautiful visuals there that are quite relaxing and i'm thinking of you know in the late hours that might be quite a nice thing to have rather than just something that is just like this like in your face frenetic uh kind of experience if if you want something bigger than a phone experience um ben then i would just suggest getting a switch because one thing that I did quite a lot was because you can take off the Joy-Cons, you don't have to have the Joy-Cons holding it in a specific place. You can like cross your hands and still control a game. So you can literally hold a child with two hands holding the Joy-Cons underneath your like chest with crossed arms and still play like a full fledged game. So I think one image. What? So what was I playing when I was like nursing Hugo? I think it was something like Mario Odyssey. So I'd just be like playing Mario Odyssey with both Joy-Cons sort of crossed over in my hands or playing like FIFA or whatever whilst I was um, nursing him, which is kind of like one of the things you only get with with the Switch. So that would be another, I mean, a bit more of an outlay than buying a couple <laughs> of mobile games. I but mean, you're going to be there a while, so invest in the future. Amazing. Sam, we went yeah. to a, we went to a board game convention the other day. We did twice in one year. We stood in a queue. Yep. To go to an event that had lots of military paraphernalia and flags, Excellent. and was a little too long for what it actually ended up being. But um... is okay. Is this searing political commentary, <laughs> or are we uh, are we on to so which one was it? It was t- Tabletop... Was it Manchester? Yes. It was, I think, the first time they've held it in Manchester. I think usually it's a stalwart of London. That's where usually it, its stomping ground is. So I think Sam was the one who kind of directed my attention to this. And we just thought, how brilliant to have this on our doorstep, you know, both mm. us living in the Northwest and to kind of go and support that, really, with a view that, you know, more and more stuff of this might occur in the future, really. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I did have a kind of a weird encounter though because um, I was I had arranged to kind of cook a lovely aubergine parmigiana in that evening, right. mm-hmm. and my shopping um, arrived the day before, and the only thing that didn't have was aubergines, which is kind of a crucial. You know, I can't really work around it. Yeah, you it. can't really fudge that. Can no, you? they did give me two red onions as an alternative which I don't think would have worked. But anyway, so Sam very kindly drove us into Manchester very, very early in the morning so we could get there for when it opens. Yes. I want to be there when it opens, Chris. Okay, Sam. Beat the queue. Yeah. So um, 
as we leave the car park, he's like, oh, there's a shop here. Do you want to go and get yourself like a bottle of water and stuff? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk in. Oh, this is actually quite a big supermarket mm. while I'm here. Yeah. And, that, and I found them. Free, beautiful, succulent aubergines. I don't know if I like the, that, the phrase succulent aubergine. Oh, no, Pete, you should have seen <laughs> these things. They're incredible. Mm. Um, and I, I pay for them with my bottle of water, put them in my bag. And as Sam said, you queue for ages. But then I, I didn't realise, but you get to the security where they check your bags. <laughs> I and walked straight through. They didn't care about my bag. No. And but uh, Chris. <laughs> so, <laughs> security guard, I just go, oh, God. Opens my bag up. He just looks in. All that's inside is essentially a bottle of water and yeah. free aubergines. <laughs> yeah. And he just says to me, he goes, aubergines? What's that about then? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fair question to ask. Yeah, it's a question, yeah. And I, yeah. I think I must be the only person in human history who's ever walked into a board game convention with free aubergines, and I carried them around with me the whole yeah. day, and it was a lovely parmesan. But yes, it was it was a really interesting event. Where was it, Sam? It was the O2. So it's the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester, and this was Tabletop Gaming Live. So it's like the 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 convention of the magazine tabletop gaming. oh cool okay yeah and um yeah if you if you want to if you'd like to know more there's pictures on um our instagram and um twitter feeds of me and chris wandering around um the show and um it was it was a pretty it was it was a pretty good convention i mean it didn't top the dizzying heights of um, aircon and and it wasn't as um, comprehensive and as um, uh, busy as the UK Games Expo, but it was actually um, a really sort of gentle convention and it had like all the big names were there, Asthma Day were there, Coiled Spring, Ravensburger, lots of names that we've mentioned on this on this podcast before. So like with all conventions, Steamforged Games were there because they're just based in Media City, which which isn't far away. And so like with all conventions, it was just really nice just to get to know people and speak to people and um, talk about games that they've got coming up. And we got to talk about the podcast and just lots of um, lovely things. The, the the lady who runs the surprise stair games <laughs> stand, who has now encountered me on three separate occasions and... Like, I remember her every single time, but I don't think she has any recollection. As soon as I leave, I think she just wipes me from her memory, but I just talk to her like, <laughs> we're good friends now. Um, <clears throat> and, like, I finally bought one of their one of their little war games, actually, this time. Because, like, whenever I go to a convention, I like to buy something. It tends not to be, like, something that I can get in a shop or something small that, you know, uh, an independent company is giving away or whatever so um one of the first games i bought was for chris which is luxa turner but they also make these like three small um war games that are like meant to recreate that war game experience but they're in tiny tiny boxes so i bought one called the march of progress which is a two-player dice allocation war game and um and it was just I really we met some listeners as well. Can you believe that? We met some listeners. No, really? Yes. Yeah. They don't yeah. they're not real. They're not real. <laughs> surely. Pete, we uh, were genuinely yeah, we asked 
they they said, look, I'm going to close my eyes and just talk so I can guess who you are because yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Isn't that great? And they were they were really really lovely and yeah. Uh, yeah and I think Sam's absolutely right. For me, my main takeaway from this was. Because Sam's such an awesome kind of network. It was like walking around with the great Gatsby at one of his parties. <laughs> like, he's just, he, he just knows a lot of people because um, he's a very friendly person. Whereas I, I think, I, you know. Oh, thank you. I, I don't think, think of myself as, as I am. I, I, I'm a friendly person. Like, if you speak to me, I'm not a bastard. But, like, <laughs> it's not just a binary. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm just not very good at that. <laughs> so where are you going on your holidays this year? Yeah, exactly. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm yeah. the reverse. I, I like I can kind of talk about that kind of stuff a little bit more readily. I think genuinely, but it was really lovely. It became it was very much a kind of more of a people experience for me. And I know we were only there for a morning. Really, it was a bit of a whistle stop tour. But I really feel we got a lot from that experience there. Genuinely, yeah. we we played a few games as well, didn't we? We did. We did. Um, I must just say thank you, Gavin, and thank you, Sarah Jane, for coming up and saying hello to us and being very Ooh. nice about us and the podcast that's very much appreciated um but yeah we did get to play um a few games we played a couple of um games from hachette which um they have like these very grand puzzle games and they're very much like you know those big books you get uh, that are like coffee table books and it's like you wouldn't go to bed and read it but you'd happily sit you would with a cup of tea it. And peruse mm. it and, and enjoy the the artistry and the artwork. And Hachette have these have these puzzles which which are the same as like Quattro and Corridor. And I'm not mispronouncing those, but they all start with a Q, which I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. And they are just the most elegant abstract puzzle games that I have played. They're just like especially Quattro, where you have these um abstract shapes. And they're either made out of a light wood or brown wood. They're either cylindrical or square. Um, they're either tall or short, or they have like an indented hole at the top, or they're flat. And the idea of the game is for you to get four of one kind in a row. So get four tall ones, four short ones, four light, four dark, or four flat or four indented. And that would be an interesting puzzle game in and of itself. But what this does, which makes it so, so elegant, is that you pick the piece that the other person has to play with and has to put down. So it suddenly becomes this lovely, rich, um, strategic experience where you don't really have to think two steps ahead. You don't really have to do much um, analysis. It's just simply what piece are you going to give your opponent to play with this turn? And it makes it such an elegant experience. And one of those things where if it was on a coffee table, like I'd happily like enjoy it. It looks fantastic. Like these pieces are magnificently carved. Um, and But I think the game of the show for me was probably one that wasn't actually at the show. <laughs> and I brought but we had some, But we had someone come up to us and ask us if he bought it at the show. Yes, yes. It definitely got everyone's attention. Everyone was asking us. <laughs> and... Consequently, Chris, I thought about this afterwards. Wasn't it Switch and Signal that people came up to us and asked us about? Uh, You're absolutely right. Aircon? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the second time, second convention in a row, that someone has approached Chris and I whilst we've been playing a game about trains. Trains. <laughs> you look like the sort, to be fair. 
<laughs> you're wearing your train conductor hat. Yes. <laughs> <we're>, we're, <laughs> doot, doot. Um, yeah, what wasn't discovered in my bag, unlike Chris's aubergines, was my copy of um, Village Rails from Osprey Games, which I smuggled into the convention because I thought we might get half an hour just to just to play this out. And um, yeah, we had an absolute whale of a time playing Village Rails. It's it's becoming one of my favourite games that I've played this year, and I'm not sure how much longevity it has, but. Whilst I'm playing it, I've been really, really um, enjoying it. And a few years ago, Osprey released Village Green, okay? And this was by a designer called Pierre Sylvester. And, Mm -hmm. like, on the cover of the box, it says, a game of pretty gardens and petty grudges. And it's a tableau builder where, basically, you're trying to build the prettiest garden and scoring things based on what's adjacent to what. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, along comes Village Rails, which isn't designed by Pierce Sylvester. It's designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert with some incredible art by Joanna Rosa. And out the gate, sorry, Village Green, but this one's got a better tagline, which is, Chris? A game about locomotives and local motives. That, oh, that's very good. See? Yeah. See what I mean? Um, And like Village Green, this, again, is um, a tableau builder. And what, what I guess I mean by that is what you're doing on the table is collecting cards and c- filling in spaces that will create like a, like a scene. And in this case, it's um, a scene of lots of connected um, railways and you're building up this complex network of railway lines which stretch across um, this three-by-four grid. So everyone gets, every player gets this little um, sort of uh, almost like set square piece to sort of map out the three by four grid that they're working towards. And that will sort of also start them off with some sort of, some of the sets of terrain, so it's like pasture, wheat fields, lakes, um, and, and villages. And then you start playing so every turn you pick up um, a piece of track and you put it into your tableau and there are features on these tracks which are things like barns and farms and um, Mm. uh, signals and the main core of the game is obviously to get the most points but you do that by combining bits of track that might share features or um, complement each other so for example if you've got a farm feature on your track, you'll get a point for every different type of terrain that is in that series of connected tracks. Uh, if you've got a signal, you'll get points for the most amount of signals that you've got in that in that track, and so on and so forth. And you have this wonderful little like red dial where you can all keep track of your scores as you're playing. And it's a really tight puzzle, but... I think the thing that impresses me most about Village Rails, and I don't know if Chris agrees with me on this one, but the the superb thing about it is that to pick up new bits of rails and to pick up new trips, which help you score more points, costs you some money. So there's this dual economy going on. There's an economy of points, as in trying to get the most points, but there's also an economy of money, which is trying to 
always ensure that you've got a flow of money coming in because if you want to get the most points, you're going to need money. Mm -hmm. So what the game is essentially telling you is that you can, if you really want to get the highest scores, you're going to need to always have a good pool of money because you you can't just rely on the last track in the in the shop to be one that's going to fit perfectly into your tableau. You can't always rely on the cheapest trip to be something that's going to give you the best score. So you've got to always be thinking about getting money in as well as scoring points. And it creates such a wonderful little puzzle and conundrum that never gets too heady, it never gets too complicated, it never really... Um, sort of stretches you too far into analysis paralysis, but just keeps you bubbling away enough that makes the game really, really exciting. And in games where, in very similar games where you might be like laying down tiles or again building a tableau where you can easily get sucked into trying lots and lots of things or like trying lots and lots of ways of, of scoring points, Village Rails by using this economic system is a very clever way of just getting you to focus on very simple things and very uncomplicated pathways. So rather than trying to like create 12 different lines, you're just focusing on one or two and the rest of them are just bringing you in the money. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the HS2 expansion. I think that's mm-hmm. going to really mm-hmm. change things. That'll take a few years more. I do, you know what, do you know what I love about this game? <laughs> uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I love the art in it. It's some beautiful yeah. kind of... Um, kind of pastoral scenes there it reminded me a lot of the kind of color scheme of i don't know something like odin's ravens it's just a it's just a joy to kind of handle these cards and to build this beautiful patchwork quilt of these different mm-hmm. landscapes but another thing i really really like about this game is that you can play this game completely switched off because yeah. you can always play a, a track card and the game ends when somebody's got all their tracks down essentially so in those moments if you wanted to just take a break and just enjoy that that kind of satisfactory sensation of creating this jigsaw of train tracks and seeing how they're satisfyingly kind of intertwine with each other seamlessly and connect. Great, you can. And then Mm. you can also, if you want to, uh, tune into that really, really interesting dance between points and pounds. Yes, and it makes it such uh, an elegant game to teach as well, like because you can just teach it as you are playing it. Like the right. first turn, you're not going to be... You start off with a bit of money. So from the first turn onwards, you can kind of just... Because it's the choice is going to be very minimal, you can just teach it to someone as you play it. Because every step you go, you can go, well, you can pick up this card or you can decide to take one of these or one of these and this will benefit you in one of these different ways. There's such an organic feel to the, to the way that the puzzle evolves mm. that it makes it a bit more of an easy teach you can just teach it as it as it plays daniel i want you to take me back to the very first time you encountered either in book form radio form Mm. or film form jrr tolkien's the lord of the rings uh the lord of the rings uh i kind of picked up from my family i remember distinctly like they were all kind of like my mum's like family. She's got uh, like four siblings, um, and obviously then they're all the kids as well. And it was like it was always something that they'd always read and always raved about. And it was kind of in that 
it was in my consciousness without actually knowing what it was. And I remember when the films were coming out um, and they were all getting really excited about it. I think like my cousin had come around and like showed us like there's a video, the trailer's been revealed of the first one. <laughs> Again, I didn't know anything really about it. Um, and I remember watching it and it would have, we were watching it on like the computer and it was like, like kind of like a two inch by two inch size video because yeah. it was mm. like this is a long long time a quick ago time. on a, probably a dial up modem type thing where it takes about half an hour to load a two minute trailer um I, w- I watched that first film and then basically just devoured all the books um so the i think i've not read some of the smaller stuff some of the kind of the more obscure stuff i've not read the silmarillion um which i do have but it's always just felt a little bit kind of it's a tough read. It's always felt a little bit too imposing, mm. I think. Mm. Um, and I've always kind of been a bit wary of it. However, however, saying that, I don't think I've ever been more tempted to be reading The Silmarillion than I am right now. Uh, because I have started watching Rings of Power. So how does... So, so, so as someone who... Uh, as someone who sort of enjoys Tolkien's work, but is very much not uh, that interested in it no I, I don't know where i sit with talking i think i think sounds like a backhanded compliment to me well you're not you're not a jrr asshole are you you're um... no 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 I, I do remember I, I how long hang on how long did it take you to come up with that Pete? how long have you had that one just sitting in your back pocket <laughs> or a talking white guy yeah <laughs> like i remember um as well dan going to see the movies with my parents and like that was the first ever sort of I've ever heard of the Lord of the Rings, and I remember we were, going, we were coming out of the Fellowship of the Ring, and my my dad was so stunned by what he'd seen, he drove through a red light that night, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that was very out of character for my dad. But anyway, obviously I've read all. What the- did he do after the two towers? Launched <laughs> <laughs> <Lodged> a siege. <laughs> um, I yeah so. I've read the three three books and The Hobbit. I recently reread Fellowship of the Ring, voiced by Andy Serkis, which is an incredible experience, and I recommend it to anyone, even if you've already read the books. Um, and I think The Hobbit is a perfect children's book. But like, I think one of the reasons why I've not been interested in Rings of Power is I don't know where it sits in terms of like all this world, which I know and that I'm comfortable with. Okay, so the 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 positioning of it. Uh, in mm. terms of perhaps time frame and time period, um, it's not exact. Um, it, it doesn't specify exactly where it sits within the kind of the, the timeline. However, based on kind of a basic knowledge of the Lord of the Rings, you can kind of position it to be somewhere in the time leading up to um, kind of the great battle where the the Sauron is defeated. So it's basically it, the I think the idea is this show will cover that whole story. So based on the rise of Sauron up until, I imagine, his defeat. Um, so are you talking about the big battle where they cut off the ring? Yes, yeah, so this is, this is all set thousands of years before uh, the story of the Lord of the Rings. Okay. So, so strap if, in. You, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings, this is basically all set before... The, what the prologue of the Fellowship of the Ring tells you. So the prologue of the Fellowship of the Ring, this whole series is set before that. And I imagine, theoretically, it would probably end at the point of where the prologue is as well. So that would give you your full circle of the whole story. Um, mm-hmm. I know that because there are certain characters which are important to the Lord of the Rings kind of history who are present within 
um, this series. So the main character, the kind of the lead protagonist, so there are, it's, a, it's most definitely an ensemble cast, but probably if there is going to be a lead, it's probably um, uh, Galadriel, who's obviously a character in The Lord of the Rings. It's a very uh-huh. different character that's appearing in um, Rings of Power, which is, again is interesting because obviously you have this thing of how will this character who we say here, which is kind of a warrior character, become this ethereal presence that that she becomes in the in the kind of the timeline of Lord of the Rings. And obviously it's not a, a straight prequel. It's not got the people involved as as the, the films. See, however, there is a very the visual sense of this series is very similar um to the the Lord of the Rings films. It's the the style of the Lord of the Rings and the imagery and the landscapes, that's very iconic. Swooping shots through the sky through the mountains and it very much feels part of this 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 world um this is obviously the 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 most expensive series ever made Mm -hmm. by gum you can see that money on the screen it does look absolutely incredible it looks better than lots of big budget movies like there are i don't mean to slam on them but some of the marvel films of late like this is far kind of superior to them um the the visual effects are fantastic you can see the fact that they are using practical effects which always looks better especially some of the because you do have the different races whether it's dwarves or especially kind of the orc kind of race you can see prosthetics and that it's practical effects it's not just a cgi character and that always one of the things about the original lord of the rings films was there was that grounding in reality that these were physical people you could see them yeah. obviously i'd say you could see the makeup but you can see that it's real it's physical it's not just been kind of it's not got that sheen of being through a computer so that's what's that's kind of where we sit with it and that's the kind of the overview of kind of where the show is um i really love how they've captured the the language of tolkien uh, they've, they've captured that tone um it's almost shakespearean at times the 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 way you look at it obviously there's going to be lots of comparisons with the likes of game of thrones and stuff and game of thrones does at times lead lean that way as well but obviously this is kind of this is high fantasy game of thrones is it is fantasy but it's mainly dragons and everything else is relatively normal this is high fantasy this is monsters and trolls and dwarves and elves and all that stuff so for some people that may kind of put them off because they're not like my wife isn't a big fan of lord of the rings and watched the first episode greatly admired it but wasn't hooked by it i think Mm. like she's not a big kind of fan of the high fantasy and stuff what's interesting about it because i don't want to go into story beats what i'm finding difficult is i'm finding i'm finding myself quite detached from it because there are certain locations that you they go to or certain story beats or certain characters that are almost like easter eggs they go to uh, numenor which in the lord of the rings is mentioned it has a historical purpose historical impact but as soon as they go there suddenly my brain starts whirring i'm like oh all this stuff that i've heard of i'm now seeing and it kind of takes me out of the story yeah. a little bit yeah and it's 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 really difficult it's my love of the the material is keeping me at a distance a little bit and i wonder if perhaps that's why i'm not in love with it like i thought i might be it is keeping me a little bit at a distance and i just need something to kind of let that drop and I can just really fall into it because I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. How, how, is that, how is that different from reading the books and then watching the films? Surely, are, that, are those the two same things or is it, or is it different? Um, it's interesting. Like it's because a lot of the books, 
and it's often used as a criticism of Tolkien's writing that he seems more interested in places than characters. So he does a very good job at describing landscapes. And as Dan said, in something that is such a high budget that was filmed on location in New Zealand, um, front and centre, you've got those landscapes. And to kind of put it into perspective, as they cut between these different areas of Middle Earth, the camera will cut across the map. So you, you very, very, you're getting those kinds of echoes of the book, but where you're kind of flicking, as, as I was, I was kind of flicking to the front to see the map of Middle Earth, then flicking back to the text. And actually, this is one of the very few television series where I felt I had to have a map with me because I was just so interested in seeing, okay, where's this in relation to this? And to kind of get to the point Dan was making, I feel almost that because they've got a lot of series mapped out, I think five in total, I think this first series is very much the outer frame of a jigsaw where you always start at the edges first. Mm. And obviously, but those sides aren't meeting yet. So at the moment, we are, we are cutting between various different regions of Middle Earth that aren't necessarily all aware of each other. And they're all having their own separate parallel narratives. And at the moment, you know, to date, they haven't yet properly intertwined or intermingled with each other. So it feels like a tour for a Middle Earth that we never got to see. Because in The Lord of the Rings, we see these ruins, these watchtowers, and we actually see them now in their heyday when this civilization was once here. Um, we, we see the elves no longer as towards the end of their life and going back to their homeland. But we see them almost here now as in this post-war landscape, almost as an imposition to some of humanity. I, th- that are there. I, I, can, I can hear already what Pete, Pete's going to say in, in, in criticizing and like as like to me I don't know what you're going to say Pete but like I think this is one of the reasons why I've not really wanted to watch Rings of Power is that we're seeing things before like just take I'm, I'm I'm not saying that this is in Rings of Power it probably isn't but like like the watchtower where Frodo is stabbed or whatever like the weathertop like like there is such a rich part of that of that telling where they come across Weathertop and they learn about it. And for me, like, that is part of what makes fantasy so rich to read, like, understanding what happened and how it fits in the story that they're telling now. So, like, for me, I don't want that to be kind of taken away from, like, my reading of Lord of the Rings, which kind of feels like what's happening with Rings of Power is they're just, like, stripping away at what made Lord of the Rings so great, which was learning about things, but just in the past tense. What what I would say, and I'll let, because I'm sure Pete wants to jump in on this as well. What I would say, like, as Chris mentioned, it is kind of like a, like a, a tourist journey through Middle Earth. That's the thing. It's not a tourist journey through the Lord of the Rings. It's a tourist journey of Middle Earth. I don't think we've seen any locations no. yet which appear in Lord of the Rings. No, we haven't. So it's but not that's what Chris just said. No, no, no. I'm ta- I was talking about right ruins in general, like the ruins of this old civilization. Who, who was this civilization? We actually see the kind of, but we don't actually go to specific as of yet. Yeah, We've so not gone to specific locales from any of the books. Like this is a thousand years before the landscape of Middle Earth. That's why there's no map that reflects this because it's just changed so much. Like you know, from a, okay, I was a bit confused about what you're saying. The the thing that I find. Um, about this, and, and and I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but um, like it's good, obviously, but like surprise, but like uh, you know, it's 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 not like a huge part of my life. But one of the things I love about sci-fi and fantasy is um, when when they give you room to mm-hmm. imagine, 
when you look at all of the, the sort of intellectual properties that I'm particularly interested in, so things like, uh, so things like forty k, things like um, I mean, even Lord of the Rings to some ex- to, to to some extent, things like Metal Gear and stuff stuff like, uh, along those lines, for example, all of them are very good at what's called door jar narrative, where they go. Um, uh, so let me give you an example from the 40k universe. Uh, there's something called the uh, the Eye of Terror, and the first time that the Eye of Terror, so this is a location in the galaxy, was mentioned, it's just mentioned as, oh, that's the Eye of Terror. There's no more details about what it is, what what like uh, like there's no real specific location as to where it is. There's just that's called the Eye of Terror, and in your mind you're sort of putting together this thing of like inside of it like why is it referred to this what what is what is it that's in is there something inside of it that is a terror what is the you know or is it a you know is it some play on words of terror as in earth is it like what is the thing there and that to me is really really exciting right like i'm like oh 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 what could that possibly be when uh, 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 you know a good example of this uh, going wrong is when george lucas goes Oh, you know this mystical force? Medical orients. Mm. Like, as soon as he explains it, it's boring. Like, you're just like... Like, obviously, the whole thing was like, what is the force? Is it magic? Is it some sort of untapped, like, energy? Is it scientific? As soon as he explains it as, oh, it's a natural phenomenon, and this is how it works, it's boring. And, like, to me, like, if, if in Lord of the Rings... in Sorry, Rings of Power, if we're exploring all of these... What were the elves like? This is what they were like. That's really boring to me. To me, in the very least. What I I completely agree with you. I completely agree in that in that kind of that idea and what you mentioned in kind of with with stars and stuff is a very good example of that. What I would say is that um, it, this isn't the 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 kind of the the creators of Rings of Power coming up with answers to all these questions like what they're the the sort they're taking it from source material so okay. you've got the lord of the rings and this is coming from the appendices all written by tolkien so this is all tolkien's work and he had there is books of the history of middle earth and that is what is being discussed here so there might be references say in the lord of the rings to an old evil called morgoth this is a it might be just mentioned in lord of the rings within some of the the wider writings of of Tolkien that's fleshed out and that is discussed and that is all answered and explained so it's not a case of hmm there was a there was a a a plot hole or a plot gap let's fill it in it's not like that it's about let's tell this other story Mm. that was also written which then inflects on the future story so yes the Lord of the Rings may refer back to something which we are now um, dramatizing but we're not dramatizing it just because the Lord of the Rings mentioned it. We're dramatizing because it was written in a in a separate novel, basically. I, I'm I, I'm kind of like going to always look at this through rose tinted glasses because I remember watching The Fellowship and a bit like having a nice fine meal. Um, I really like what I'm eating. I don't know what's in it and I don't know why. Um, but I am. I really. I was captivated by. The Fellowship when I first watched it it blew me away it made me want to read all the books and this is just giving me those same feelings really of of journeying back to Middle Earth and just um just immersing myself in it it feels like a genuine treat and I look forward to every week uh really um I think they've done a very very good job 
When you make video games, one of the things that you do is you always look at your competitors. And uh, there is a company out there that I have been following for a very long time. Uh, and they are called Acrum Digital. Uh, mostly because... Uh, <laughs> part, well, partly because... They have a two-word company that begins with A and has digital at the end of it. Um, and partly because, um, partly because they do digital tabletop adaptations, and that's something that I used to do a whole yeah. lot. And um, I've always followed their, their, um, their history with interest. Um, uh, and we've talked about them a lot on this podcast. So you might remember that these are the folks that did the digital adaptations of 8-Minute Empire. Oh, yes. Good. Uh, Istanbul, yeah, Charterstone, uh, which I think was let down mostly by uh, uh, the game itself, uh, and uh, now uh, oh, and they've also done Steam Rails to Riches. I don't really know that one, and Concordia, which I hear is very good. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. like it. Excellent, excellent stuff. So then, and the digital one. version is also is it good? Really good, really good for yeah. asynchronous play as well. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Ooh. Cool. Well, there's a theme. Uh, because uh, they've uh, <laughs> they've just put out unmatched digital edition. Now we talked about unmatched uh, back on a previous episode, uh, which of course, on, Chris. Chris. Oh, I think that was um, episode one hundred twenty-seven of the pod. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, one hundred twenty-seven. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, so we talked about the physical. Every time. Yeah, every time we. We talked about the physical edition back on 127, and um, yep. I was really, really intrigued um, by what that was. So when I found out that Acrum Digital was making, uh, which is a, a developer that I really, really love, video game developer that I really, really love, was doing a digital adaptation of Unmatched, which sounded like a great game that I hadn't played yet, I was like, okay, fantastic. I had to go and play it. So we got a, a, I went and asked for a review key for this, so I've been playing the early access version. Um, yeah. And... Uh, my goodness me, uh, they've once again absolutely knocked it out of the park when it comes to digital adaptations. Um, there's some caveats in here, and mostly because it's an early access game. But um, basically, it's I think it's really, really, I think it's really good, and I think it's a really interesting move for them as a studio of the game that they're actually making. And I think Unmatched is a really cool product to make into a digital adaptation. So yeah. Just as a kind of reiteration of what Unmatched is, you essentially have um, a core play piece that is a, a physical model, and that is uh, on a on a board. And these boards have different spaces, um, and you can move your physical model around on this space. You'll also have what are essentially minions. Uh, so you might have, like, if you're playing as Medusa, you'll have a bunch of harpies, so you might have, like, four of those. Uh, but if you're playing as King Arthur, then you'll just have the one, and that's Merlin, right? Um, yeah. And the idea is that you will take up these different spaces, move around in a different space, and you can do uh, a few different actions. You can either move, uh, whereby you will draw a card into your hand, and you use cards to attack things and defend against attacks and also to do these kind of instant attacks uh, or instant sort of plays I suppose um, and then so you draw that card and then you also move uh, around the space as well so you move into a different position or you can play a card um, so attack for example uh, if you're next to a um, an opponent 
uh, you can just attack and then you'll do the thing on the card and it will have a certain power score and then there'll be an effect that the attack has, like during combat, uh, draw X cards for etc. Um, again, <laughs> think kind of Magic the Gathering, but slightly lighter yep. version of that. Um, uh, that's that's kind of essentially the game. And so it's kind of, the way I think of it is Magic the Gathering light with positional play. This digital adaptation is really cool. Um, so the reason I think it's really cool is one of the sort of meta things with Unmatched is that the whole theming around it is... Uh, uh, very difficult to well non-copyrightable characters uh, having uh, fights with one another yes um, so for example um, I mentioned Medusa I mentioned King Arthur um, this uh, the early access version also comes with Sinbad uh, and it also comes with uh, Alice in Wonderland or Alice Through the Looking Glass whichever yeah it's so the same that, thing. that pretty much copies the Battle of the Legends which is first the box. Yeah. yes, the first box. So that is the the sort of two player starter thing that you would play. I mean, well, technically four players. You can play four players with it. You can do one v one, so one character, one character, or two v two, and so all of that is in the early access version. And the early access version is also once it goes to one point and comes out of it, it's going to be updated with. And I'm going to read from the press release so I don't get this wrong. It has Arthur, Sinbad. Medusa, Alice, and then it says Sarpedon and Memorial. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. the full release will then add Little Red, so Little Red Riding Hood, yeah, and Beowulf. Classic tag team. Now, all of these are clearly uncopyrightable or out of copyright characters, so you can play against. So you know, you, it, it's sort of like a you know an Avengers, a who's who Avengers esque. Crossover, the League of Extraordinary of, Gentlemen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and they will also be introducing in season one, which you can purchase separately. And this is partly why I think this is interesting. Uh, they'll add Bigfoot, Robin Hood, Jekyll and Hyde, Invisible Man, Dracula, and Sherlock Holmes. And they're going to also add in a bunch of other battlefields and stuff. And basically, spoilers, it's basically the physical editions, right? So uh, there's a expansion which has got, you know, Sherlock Holmes and... and yeah, um, Cobble and Fuck. And stuff yeah. like that, yeah. And one of the boards is called Soho. That'll, that'll be coming through in season one as well, right? So you can see how, how, they're, how they're doing this stuff. Maybe they might do Winnie the Pooh now that he's in public. Well, let's hope so. Well, do you remember, that is what I suggested. Winnie the Pooh and Miss Havisham... Winnie the Pooh versus Miss Havisham <laughs> is absolutely what the world is clamouring to see. But um, but here's the thing. There are also a bunch of other expansions for Unmatched, and none of those are mentioned. And those those uh, expansions are Jurassic Park. There's a number yep. of those. And one of them is Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are not mentioned. So the reason I bring this up is um, I think this is a really interesting... Uh, uh, model that Akram is going for at the moment and and uh, the reason I say that is so the, the base game itself is f- uh, is $20 it's about £15 that's quite steep for what that experience is I mean it's still it's clearly it's cheaper than the physical edition and it's yeah. the physical edition it's, it's, it's beat for beat the physical edition so you know maybe that's okay um, and they will be adding these two additional characters in um, as I say so the reason I think this is interesting is because 
this is a digital tabletop game which they will continue to just kind of build on kind of as a halfway house between what their previous work was, something like 8-Minute Empire, where, yes, you could go and get new maps, for example, but really there wasn't that much additional stuff that you could do. Somewhere between that and, like, a live game, like Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering or something along those lines, whereby there's just constantly, constantly, constantly new content. This kind of feels a little bit like a halfway house, because they mention it as Season 1, right? Which implies that they're sort of hoping there'll be a second season of like you would do with something like a Rocket League or a Fortnite or one of those yeah. sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting from a digital tabletop perspective because yeah. that's the dream, right? Like you, you, you have this one brand and then you just keep building and building and building and building on top of it. Um, they seem to be setting up in a really good way. So the game is, I, I played it on Steam, uh, runs beautifully, uh, you, you've no problem. You can run it on almost anything. Uh, it's coming out on iOS, it's coming out on Android, and it's coming out on Switch. Um, I assume they'll probably do the other consoles, but that's not been confirmed yet. Um, all of them are cross-platform multiplayer. Oh. There is asynchronous multiplayer. I have no idea how that works on uh, the consoles, because that seems like a nightmare to implement. Uh, but there is asynchronous multiplayer as well. Um, which means that Hopefully, like your things like Ticket to Ride and Splendor and stuff like that, hopefully there's going to always be an audience ready there, just waiting to do the multiplayer. Um, And I think that that's really important because the actual core experience is really good. Like, Unmatched is a great game, right? Unmatched is a really, really good game. Absolutely. But they've spent, I think wisely, all of their time and effort, it seems, on the multiplayer. Because the single player is basically just you against the AI, no campaign, no story, nothing to keep you there, nothing, you know. Um, the multiplayer, I think, is where it's going to be at, especially with that yeah. kind of, again, Fortnite-esque model whereby you're always adding new stuff. I think that's where it will live and, and, and breathe. And again, the cross-platform stuff, the async stuff, I think that's really going to help with this game. Um yeah, I, I'm really interested to see where this one goes. It is, it is interesting because I think there's there's you, you're never gonna have a situation where kind of the 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 love of the physical board game kind of isn't there. So that there's, you, you you can't replace that. Mm-hmm. However, I do think the increase that we see in these digital versions of of board games when they're when they're done well are really great. And yes, they will never replace a game, no. but. There is an absolutely, there is absolutely a, a, a market now and a place now for these digital adaptations Agreed. because it enables us four to play something like Ticket to Ride, and we're in four different parts of the country, and we can have a a, a gaming experience. It may not be the true gaming experience for it because we're not sitting around a table interacting as mm-hmm. we play it, but we have that experience. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting when you the way you describe. I mean, the the, the thing that springs to mind with me. Is it's like a board game of like Marvel versus Capcom, yeah, 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 but with literary, yeah, yeah. But with yeah, those kind exactly of those that, yeah. different kind of things. And th- I think that idea of the seasons, as you mentioned, like the likes of Fortnite and stuff like that, and that kind of like your your EA Pass type thing of like signing up and you kind of regularly you're paying for a subscription to it, kind of thing. 
for for a board game, I think a lot of them that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. But something like this, where you do have that kind of very clearly defined, we can put this pack in and you can get X characters, and that makes it very simple. You couldn't do that. It's not like, I mean, other ones you'd be like, okay, here's a new map, and you can you can have a subscription to that. This is very very clear that you can get new characters and new maps, and it's very easy to expand on that. Mm. So I th- it is really interesting to see board games at least some of them moving into that kind of arena. Um, I use the uh, arena being the figurative word that that is basically what they're doing, especially when you factor in kind of multiplayer and stuff. Mm. Um, is it, is it, would it just be two player multiplayer or, do you, or would it be able to go up to kind of more than it that? It should be able to go up to four. Um, so you can do 2v2 uh, battles. And mm. um, I think that, I think the game will really shine in that area. There's a lot of, strategic there's a lot of differences between um each of the characters so it is highly asymmetrical my hope is that they keep all of the if you don't own all of the characters that you are able to play against people who do have those characters and i know that that's that's more than possible it's happened in happens in a bunch of star realms does that really well star realms is good for that yeah um so so yeah, I think, think you'd it's... also have to kind of protect against the the the, the pay to win scenario of kind of like if you're not getting all the extra packs, can you actually if you if you're playing as King Arthur, like how how can you compete no... against a, a T Rex from the Jurassic Park? No, yeah, in terms no, of is that no going to be too powerful? For no, you? there's no. Yeah, it's a bit more like you know Super Smash Brothers, like yeah. more like multiverses, you know, where in real life Arya Stark could. Butcher Bugs Bunny, but in multiverses, they're balanced yeah. to play each other within that within that world. Good point, yeah. Sam. So, <laughs> so, so there's some downsides. Uh, one, the audio is really bad. Uh, so, um, and 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 it's not actually bad quality. It's just there's not there's not very much of it, and so it repeats quite often. This is one of those things where if you've played Unmatched and you've liked it, this is a no-brainer put the money in, it's worth it, full price, 100%, like, without a doubt, like, they'll add that new content in, I think, I think six mm-hmm. characters for £15, brilliant, they're coming, I trust them, if you look at their previous games, they support them long term, they build on them, yeah, absolutely. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they make games, I think Chartstone might have launched Mixed, for example, that it's now in positive, like they they do good by their community. I'm very impressed with how they do that stuff. So if you're if you're an Unmatched fan, this is it. Like yeah, this is it. Go get it. It's really good. If you haven't played Unmatched, or you're like eh, Unmatched is fine. Like it's not my favorite. This is one that I would say pop on the old wish list. This to me is an absolute no brainer when it drops to a tenner. Like. If it's a t- if it's a tenner and it's you've got six characters in, you should buy this. Like this is this is just a brilliant game. If if there was going to be a bingo card for the staying in podcast, yeah, what would be on it? Pete talks at length about about an obscure game. <laughs> Sam talks at length about an obscure board game. He's yeah. saying basically, um, yeah. Pete Sam's going. Chris says, Chris says, Chris says genuinely. Yeah, genuinely, basically, anything that's got Lee on the end. Bruce My Lee. wife has uh, kindly informed me that I say the, the phrase "kind of" a lot. You, 
Yeah. Which I can which I can now no longer listen to myself without hearing it every single time. So to kind all of. the listeners, I'm kind of sorry. Mm. Kind of. <laughs> uh, I think listeners probably won't be aware of this, but the Peter Willington um, I actually recognise the waveform pattern. I can actually delete yeah. it without listening to it as I'm editing. That's pretty powerful. I think my silent laugh would be... Uh, yeah. Be on there on yeah. our bingo card. Making a reference to an extremely British institution. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris remembering an old episode number. <laughs> yep. Yes. Remembering. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Sam gets too carried away after watching one episode or playing a game for just one hour. And <laughs> yeah. Tells... Yeah. Game <laughs> <you>. um... <laughs> And then retracts it the next episode. Yeah. Um, I think I think we could I think we could make maybe in time for Christmas we should make a uh, uh, a little staying in bingo card for people to play. Well, Sam, <gasps> I agree with you. We should do that, but we actually have something for our listeners already. <gasps> What's this? An early Christmas An present. Early Christmas present. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Depending on when you're listening. <laughs> but if it's you're Christmas, Christmas it's Christmas. your Christmas present. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is what we got you. So. Um, if you uh, look in the show notes for this podcast or go on our Twitter or Instagram because we'll shout about it as well, uh, we have made you a game uh, and it is called What's Better Than a Hot Tub? Um, <laughs> no. So, so long-time listeners may be familiar with this game. Yeah, because of course yes, we talked Chris, about it in a previous episode, didn't we, Chris? Yeah, we did. We talked about it in well, that me, episode. Pete, me and you didn't show up for that one. <laughs> we talked about it in that episode, which was called... Um, it was... Oh, it's coming back to me now. It was episode 157, wasn't it? 157, yeah. Good memory. Um, the uh, We talked about that. We basically made a game in a hot tub that you can only play in a hot tub. In a hot tub, yeah. Um, it's the worst commercial idea. Yeah, so we've made ever. we've made a game that involves <laughs> a piece of paper and a hot tub, um, and you can um, you can go and get it now. Um, it is pay what you want, and if you want to pay nothing, that's fine. <laughs> um, uh, you can go and uh, get it. Uh, you we'll link to it in the show notes, and we'll talk about it on the socials and all that sort of stuff. Um, we put it on Drive Through RPG. Uh, I think technically it's also, if weirdly, I think it's also on the Dungeon Guild for D&D. I don't know how it ended up there. but um, So basically, uh, you can get it from there. It's free. Uh, and um, yeah, basically, it's a word game that you play with your friends in a hot tub. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, so go and, go and get it. It's free. Uh, and we'd really love to hear what you think about it. Because yeah. um, does, does, doesn't it have, doesn't have to be free. Doesn't it doesn't have to be free. <laughs> but it doesn't, can be. But it can be. Yeah. So, it's your choice. Um, mm. Nice save. And, and if yeah. listeners want to try and take pictures... Actually, maybe not. Don't take pictures. You no, do. Hot no, do. Take, do take pictures. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Send, it, send them to us. Send them to us. But if you do Stay actually drop product, your phone in a hot tub, it's not our fault. We should probably put that as a little thing at the bottom of the rules. Yeah, 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 exactly. Print it out. You'll have fun with it. Um, so just as we go into a cost of living crisis, that's uh, what's better than a hot tub? Uh, you can, <laughs> can uh, only be played in a hot tub. <laughs> it can only be played in a hot tub. Um, but, you know, it's I, I, I just think we're, I think we're cutting off our noses by our face here by, by making people get in a hot tub to play it. I think it's a game for all the seasons. To be fair, and this may say something about where I live, my local garden centre 
does have a jacuzzi uh, outlet, and you can try before you buy. So perfect, I'm just saying. perfect. Why is it just somebody there, like dressed in a suit with a clipboard, like you know when you go to a car dealer, <laughs> just from the waist up? Hand, what handing out copies of the game? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so um, yeah, if you want to try that out, um, uh, go give it a go. We'll link to it here, as I say. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, and if you've got any suggestions for uh, the staying in Christmas bingo card, which is now a thing, which is now a thing that we uh, have to do. Yeah, Thanks, and Sam. this is this is exactly how we got into a situation where we made a game in a hot tub. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just we just got we just can't just talk to each to other. Thing. We just have to try and create a game. Create delay create. all the time. Yeah, yeah. But, and also, um, if, if, yeah, like, if you've got like his... Ben, you want to ask us a question as well, please Ooh. do. Yeah, stayinginpod at gmail.com is the email address. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're all on those. We're on all of those things. You can find us. You've got, you you can search for us. You know how how to use a search engine, for goodness sake. We want your questions, your bingo, your uh, your, your Pete investigates. pictures of you in a hot tub. And a piece of you in a Um, hot tub. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That can't be our thing, though. In the last episode, we talked about sign-offs. Yeah. The sign-off can't be... Send, send us a picture. Send us a picture yeah. of you in a hot tub. We'll, we'll accept drawings. <laughs> no. Uh, and um, just just a final thank you to uh, everyone that we met at Tabletop yeah. Gaming uh, Live. It was an absolute pleasure um, to be there. And um, thank you to Osprey for giving us the game to smuggle inside and play <laughs> and um, excite a few people there who were also excited by playing games about And thanks for not confiscating Chris's aubergines. Mm. Yes. That would have been a very lackluster parmigiano. Um, Great. I think that's it, isn't it? Yep. I think that's it. All right, then. All right. All right.